In this episode, I look to uncover the secrets to a fulfilling life. My guest, Mariko Frederick, is the visionary author of Soul Priority. Get ready as she takes us on a captivating exploration of our soul's journey. Mariko also shares her vivid memories of life after death and offers profound wisdom on finding your soul assignment. Prepare to be inspired and empowered as you discover the keys to leading a truly fulfilled life. Next on the Executor Help Podcast. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidede.com. Now here's your host, David Ede. With me today is Mariko Frederick. She is the founder and CEO of Soul Priority. Mariko's unique approach stems from her ability to help people around the world discover and embody the assignment on their soul through what she's termed the four soul archetypes. Mariko, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. We had quite the conversation before we went on, on um, you know, I pushed uh, play here. And I, I know we're going to have a really great conversation. Yes. Thank you for having me on. That was a great conversation. Well, but it's it's, it's only going to continue. I don't it want is. people to think that, hey, maybe they missed out something. There's yeah. there's still lots of more we're, we're going to, uh, you're going to teach and I'm going to learn uh, from you. Now, I know you wrote the book, Soul Priority, and we're going to talk a little bit about that a little later. And I know you wrote it because you say we need to make more conversations about the human spirit. What happened in your life that made you want to uh, make this your life's work? Uh, Did anything happen to you? Because I know you had a near-death experience. Yeah, I think that would be the moment. You know, before that, I had to practice in alternative medicine and I was happy. I was a rock climber. Everything was going well. And I felt like I had reached the pinnacle of my life, right? Like, this is what I'm here to do. And then I died. And everything changed after that, as you can imagine. Okay, and but when you say you died, what? how did we... Have... I had a near-death experience. So right. I got injured and sick at the same time. And the illness, nobody knew about it turned out to be Lyme disease um, from a tick bite. And that took three and a half years to figure out what was wrong with me. And before that, I'd had an injury. I don't go into detail about it because it triggers people, but I was injured by somebody practicing medicine without a license or education. And I didn't know that. So I don't go into that because people get really upset by by what happened. Um, So we'll leave it at that. Um, I healed. I recovered. It took 10 years. And during the near-death experience, I, and, and, you know, to go back a little further, I had seen quite a bit of death and I, and, you know, in my book, I talk about how I used to work in a trauma intensive care unit. So my viewpoint of death is that it's something that you fight against, right? That we should avoid that it's scary and, and you should fight for life and we should. However, during my near death experience, I, one, I'll say right off the bat, if, for those who are wondering, I never felt more alive. And two, I was given some information um, about the four soul archetypes, but the interesting thing is I couldn't access it for a long time. So it was like living with this, 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 um, what I call a soul assignment, living with something I knew I was here to do, but I couldn't access what that was. And once I did access all of it, it was 17 years later and I knew I was here to help people live their soul assignment. And I have been doing that for a long time. But then, you know, a few years ago, all the information came through. And then that's when I published my book about a year, just over a year ago. Okay. So let's get back to your little bit of the uh, the near-death experience, because I know a lot of people would think, well, I'm not really, I don't know if I believe that. I know, you know, could you tell me a little bit about, you, you talk about what happened after you took your last breath? Yeah. Um, 
you know, believe it or not, everyone's going to have the experience. So I guess that's the good part, <laughs> right? Everyone's going to have that experience at some point in their life. They're going to leave this world. And that's all you're really doing is leaving this world. Um, and it doesn't feel like you're leaving. It doesn't feel sad. Um, in fact, there's just a lot of joy. So for me, after I took my last breath, I, you know, the pain was gone. And I remember just feeling like breathing was so overrated and I was so filled with joy and peace. And I just realized there is no death. So it's funny because we call it a near death and yet it's, you're not actually going to die. You just leave your body. You know, so many people are afraid to talk about death. Was there something you realized after you died that you wish you'd known before? There's so many things. Um, I mean, the first thing is don't be afraid, which is easier said than done, right? Because we're always afraid of the unknown. But I can say it's nothing to be afraid of. The other thing I think, a more practical thing that I can tell everybody is that, that, you know, what I was shown is that all the obstacles in my life, all the impossible things that I thought, oh, I can never do that. That's too hard, right? The obstacles that I would say felt like a 50 mile long wall, two miles high, and 50 miles wide, it goes down to like a little string sitting off the floor, six inches tall, and you just step over it. So all these obstacles that we have in our life that we feel are impossible. When you leave this world, you realize it, it was never impossible. There was always a path for you. Is there a way that you feel that you should prepare for death? I think as far as preparing for death, it really, I mean, that's, I feel like what life is kind of about in a way and not because again, you're not dying you're just leaving this world and you're, you're moving into the higher, higher realms, higher, higher consciousness. Um, and that is to strive to become a more conscious, kind, compassionate person. I mean, if there's one thing that you is worthy of, of living your life around, it's, you know, probably the golden rule and, and just being kind. And if you have a feeling an intuitive feeling that you're here for more, that there's something you're meant to do, do it. Don't wait. Don't tell yourself you can't do it go do it. Yeah. Well, I know we're talking about death again, makes people feel uncomfortable. You've talked about the near death experience. The, another controversial subject will make people uncomfortable is the, the afterlife. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Um, does it exist? Did you experience it? And I know something happened to you during your childhood as well. I did. Well, it didn't really happen to me. So when I was born, I always remembered what happened before I was born. And I thought everyone did until I was a teenager. Till I was about 18, I thought everybody remembered all the details from before we come here. And I used to talk about it as a kid. I would talk about the place with all the lights and the love and go into, you know, detail. And nobody would talk about it with me. So I eventually started to grow and think it was like a taboo thing to talk about. So I stopped. And then later as a teenager, I somebody told me that nobody remembers that. And, you know, I shouldn't talk about that. And, you know, it's unfortunate because it's just part of who I am. Just like I remember my wedding day or my, you know, high school graduation. I remember my life before I incarnated. So for me, the afterlife and, you know, what happens in between lives is the same, same place. So do a lot of, do you think a lot of people block it out or they don't know that they they are, um, are experiencing an afterlife? In which, which one? Before well, I mean, or after? After, you know, because maybe people have had these thoughts and they don't know what they are and they're not uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable to talk about. Whereas you, you were very forthcoming to say, this is what I see. This is what I remember. 
And then if it is brought up, other people are, you know, people have told you, well, you know what, you know, nobody else is doing that. Uh, nobody talks about it. Yeah, well, I have a feeling some people do have maybe some memories or some inclinations. I haven't met anybody that has a full intact memory like me, but I'm sure they're out there. Um, and I think some people just some people I've met, they don't remember it, not in the detail that I can give, but they feel it. They know it. They they remember it on a way that they can't describe it or have language around it. Um, and I don't think remembering it is the important part, honestly. For me, it gives me a reference point to share with others, but I don't think you're missing out if you don't remember it. I think that really it's about being present with your life, with your friends and family and yourself and living a meaningful life, doing what you feel like you're here to do. And then that said, you know, you are the soul. You're not this body, right? I think we, a lot of people understand that. They know that, they feel it. So it's really like living a life and acting on behalf of your soul instead of your body and your ego and what society tells you. And, and there's nothing for your soul to do except be love, right? And radiate love and joy because that's all the soy soul really can do. There's no doing, it's just being. So when I talk about your soul assignment and doing what you're here to do, it's really living a life that's in alignment with your soul. Well, you, say, that's, mm -hmm. you also say it's a sort of a task that'll frighten and free a person, you know, to be who they want to be. Yeah. To be. I feel like there's a lot of people holding back. They feel like they're here to do something right. Like you, you knew you had to write a book, but how many people feel like they're going to write a book and they never do. How many people feel like they should be doing something bigger with their life, but they don't do it out of fear or negative self-talk saying, I can't do that. Or it's, too hard or no one will take me seriously. But the thing is when you have those moments and feelings of, oh my gosh, I'm here to do something bigger or I'm here to do, it doesn't have to be big, right? It can be small, but I really want to go do this. It's about following your intuition and saying, so I'm going to do it. And the thing is, it is the scariest thing you do when you, you know, stepping out and writing a book and telling my story, it does, it's scary, sure. But it also frees me up to finally be who I'm here to be. And I can say that for a lot of people who start their business or launch, you know, podcasts or books or whatever their story is, whatever their message is, it is scary, but it frees you to be the person you're here to be. Do you feel that people are afraid to take that step or they hear those voices and they don't want, sure. and that's what's holding them back? Is it because I of family so. situation, society, or is it their own, the voices in their head? I mean, both, right? I think both. I think a lot of people, you know, had a rough childhood and they don't feel safe to expand into who they're meant to be. They don't feel supported by their friends or family. Um, I feel like, you know, there's that version of you who everybody used to know, but maybe you've become a new version of yourself, right? And so when they talk to you, it's like the way I put it, they're talking to your echo. They're talking to who they think you were, right? So for a long time, I could say my parents would talk to the version of me who was still 15, not 15 anymore. And so it's like, well, that's kind of like my echo. It's who I used to be. But do you see who I am now? And the answer, you know, oftentimes with parents is no, you know, because I'm still their baby or I was still their baby. But that happens, I think, all across the board with friends and families and colleagues. And so I would say in my experience and with the clients I work with, yeah, they come to me because they feel they're meant to do something bigger, something more, and they don't have the support. They have a lot of hesitation, a lot of self-doubt and fears. And then we work through that. And a lot of them have go gone on to become, you know, best-selling authors and, you know, launch their business, whatever it is they want to do. Yeah. I know part of your life's work is to help people to get them to their higher, as you say, astral and casual realms through your technique you call the higher 
higher therapy. Can you tell me a little bit about what it is and what's the outcome that you are helping people work towards? So higher therapy, it's funny. I actually, so on the business side, I am trademarking it because I want to be able to teach other people how to do it. So higher therapy didn't go through. So right now I'm trademarking it as astral therapy. So hopefully that goes through. Um, And it's my it's just what I do. It's what I've done since I was a little girl. Um, I travel into the higher realms because it's what I remember for me. It's kind of like going home to my safe space. And so for years I worked as a healer and coach and mentor, and I helped people clear whatever they wanted to clear by, by going there and getting the answers and like, you know, clearing whatever had to be cleared for them. And now I've created my own modality, my healing modality of bringing them with me in a visualization to the higher astral realms The astral realm is where we go after we leave this world. The causal realm is a world of thought. And it's, it's a, it's a realm even higher than that higher consciousness than that. So just a brief overview of that. And I bring them with me so that they can see who see and experience who they are as a soul experience the astral realm. I mean, yes, we're human right now, but when we leave and we're the soul, you're not really attached to the humanness of, of this anymore and get to decondition those limiting human beliefs that they have. And, and then, basically imprint them with what they want to believe and have happen in their life. So it starts happening. So that's what astral therapy is. It's so much fun. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful I get to do it. It's, it's so much fun. I can see, you know, well, you know, the listeners can, I'm just looking at you over zoom and I can see how your eyes light up just talking about it and how passionate you are. Is that the reason for Soul Priority, which is your uh, book? Could you give me a little bit of a, an overview of what inspired you to write it? You know, it just popped out of me, I can say. I don't know if you had that same experience with your book, but I wrote it 10 years ago. Interesting. We had talked before getting on the podcast, before pressing play about my, my daughter. And I wrote it the year she was born, which is interesting. And I didn't publish it until about a year ago. And it just all poured out of me in about six weeks, the whole thing. And it was just, I I remember sitting down on my couch and just sort of surrendering to the universe, God, however you experience that. And just knowing it was time. And I started crying because, you know, I didn't want to, I was scared. And then it just poured out of me and it wasn't really ready to publish, you know, until I got the other half of the book, um, which is, well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but in part two of this, I go into what's called the four soul archetypes. So the first part of the book is my near-death experience. And I, I do hit you with it right away, right? I don't, there's nothing extra in the book. No, there isn't. I go into my, there's not, there's not. It's like, I'm really- I saw, kind that, of like a I saw that in the first chapter. I'm like, ooh, yeah. okay. Yeah, the first, the first page, the first chapter, I am a bottom liner. If you want the answers, I usually what I do is I give you the answer first because nobody likes waiting for the answers or I don't. And then I explain myself after that. I give you all the details, but I want to get you the answer first. So in the beginning, I go into my near-death experience and then what I was told to do, which was to go back and help people that it wasn't my time. And of course they had to tell me three times because I'm kind of stubborn. And once you get there, you're not really, you know, wanting to come back or I wasn't anyways. Um, I'm sure some people do. But I, you're just in this in infinite state of bliss and joy. So, you know, and you're 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 in your true identity. So to be told you have to go back, I was like, go back to who? Do what? So, anyways, I did come back, and the assignment for me was to go back and help people remember who I was. But they downloaded me with what's called the four soul archetypes. Well, I couldn't get to that part of the book and explain everything without telling 
who I was and who I am as a person who remembers everything from before I was born and, and remembers my reincarnation because so much, you know, it, it, it kind of all goes together. So then that was the midpoint of the book. Chapter five, I go into life between lifetimes. And then at the second half of the book, I go into what I have termed the four soul archetypes. Well, those four soul archetypes that you talk about, how do they play a, a role in our lives? So they play a role all over the place. Um, so I love to help people make money. <laughs> and so what I gear them toward quite a bit is helping people align what they're here to do for work with their soul archetype so that they're actually in alignment with their soul all day long. Money doesn't exist when we leave this world, right? God, the universe isn't like, so how'd you do? What'd you make? You know, nobody cares. The word money is gone. However, we can live in as, as much abundance as we want to. So I help people really align through their soul archetypes who they are what they're here to do and earn an income doing it so it's not like you have your spiritual life on Sundays and then the rest of your normal life living outside of uh, alignment with your soul really you said this so, four, I, so what are the four archetypes there there is the connector archetype the connector soul archetype is your money maker um that's the archetype that so I will first say you have all of them you don't have one. You're not better at one. Um, there's one that's probably most activated and you can take a quiz on my website to find out which one that is. The one that's most activated is probably the one that you're best at making money with um, and living life, you know, with ease with. Um, but the connector archetype is the part of you. It's the archetype within you that, and I, I won't say everybody has all of this, but you have the connections. You, you know, you know so many influential people. Um, you can monetize other people's ideas, right? If somebody gives you an idea or a thought, you're like, oh, I could see how you could do this and this and this and then monetize it. So connector archetypes are really good at making money for other people and businesses. When they have a wounded archetype, they tend to make money for everybody else and not themselves. So I work on helping people heal that so they can also be abundant within themselves. So that's one of the archetype. There's not like a first through four, but that's one of them. The reflector archetype, um, for me, this is the one that I, I do naturally. So again, you're not more of one, but I do this like breathing. I don't have to think about it. It's part of, it's just, it's my most dominant archetype. And the reflector archetype is the part of you that sees the soul in other people. You see who they are, you know who they are, you see the best in them. Um, often, you know, reflector archetypes, you see everybody else, the truth of who they are, but maybe you don't see yourself. And so those are, that's, you know, very true for reflector archetypes. You're intuitive, you're psychic, you see everything, but you don't always see how brilliant you are. So sometimes those reflector archetypes, you know, can feel less than in a room that they're actually the most gifted person in the room. So um, that's when, when that archetype has, uh, has a wound on it. I got two questions when it comes to the archetype. Yeah. First one is, yeah. how does someone... If someone identifies which soul archetype resonates the most with them, how, how do you recognize it? You're all of them. You're all of them. You're navigating them all throughout your day, right? So right now I could say we're using a reflector archetype because to have a high conscious conversation, you need to be able to see each other on a deeper level, right? But we're also using the expander archetype because I'm on a podcast and I'll get to the expander and the connector archetype because before that we were talking about publishers and different things. So that's how they I'm kind of getting ahead of myself but you're not more of one 
Um, I will say you have one that you use without even thinking about it. So what would what is the most common archetype? There's no common. Everybody's all of them. And that's why I didn't call them, they, they're archetypes. They're part of who you are. So, you know, before I had the language, before I got the full download, I would call them the four gifts of the soul. But I'm like, they're not a gift because you have them. It's not like, oh, this is a present. This is a gift. Lucky me. You have them. They're there. Um, it's kind of like your heart and lungs. Like, you know, which one do you have more of? You, you have both. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. And then, so the last two are the creator archetype and the expander archetype. The creator archetype is the part of you who's here to bring in something new the world hasn't seen. And um, those are the people that are bringing in new books, new art, new tech, um, new thoughts, new things that we've never seen. And I would say, even though there's not like a favorite, I would say the creator is probably the most important and the least supported, right? Like the starving artist, because it's not just art, it's technology, it's thoughts, it's books, it's media, it's things that will help us usher in a higher age of consciousness and living. And those ideas need to be birthed, but with a, with a creator archetypes, they're usually just getting such a download of thoughts that they never get it out in the world. Um, and they're usually good at hiding their talents. So, um, and then the last is the expander archetype. And that is the part of you who, you know, wants to see other people succeed, is inviting me and other people to your podcast and giving us a stage and a platform to be able to be seen and heard and opening up doors and opportunities. Expander archetypes make the best leaders because they're selfless. Expander archetypes don't put you on their stage or, you know, or put you up for promotion because there's anything in it for them. They do it because it feels good to them. They're just totally selfless and they really do make the best leaders. Um, when they have a wound on their archetype, they tend to hide. They tend to not step into leadership. They tend to like shrink themselves and make themselves smaller. But um, those are the four archetypes. So we're navigating through each one of them throughout our day. And as people start to become familiar with it, even if they don't like their job, they can at least go, oh my gosh, but wait, I'm actually using my connector archetype right now. And that is something that they can relate into their, their soul and mm. not feel like they've left their soul at home while they went to work or they left their soul at church while they went to work, right? You hear a lot of people complain about like soul sucking work and things like that, but you are the soul. So I want people to be the soul all day long. Mm. That's my goal. In your book, you've got a bunch of quotes every time in between a lot of the chapters. And one that caught my eye was, um, remember who you are, uh, go back and help people. Why, yeah. why, why, why is that important to you? Or why do you think that should be said? I think, you know, one, it was said to me, but the big, the reason I put it in the book is it applies to everybody. Who are you as the soul? And are you doing what you're here to do? And for a lot of people, the answer is no. They know they're here to do something. It kind of be like if you knew you had this book inside of you, Executor Health, and you hadn't published it. And you came across that quote that said, remember who you are, go back and help people. And it's that spark that says, go get, go get this done. Stop sitting on your butt. Get off the sidelines. Go do it. The world is waiting for you. People need your book. They need it. Clearly, it's doing very well and has sold thousands of copies, probably around the world. Had you not done that, they'd be missing out. So remember who you are and go back and help people is really like a calling to get off your butt and go do the thing that you know you're meant to do. It, it's funny you should say that because when I was going through what I went through and I remember it might've been the third or fourth time we're driving to court and I'm with my sister and I turned to her and I says, 
this feels like this is a book. I don't want to write it. And I ended up going to court 10 times. And then COVID hit because usually I wouldn't have been home. I might have you know, gone on holidays or something in, uh, uh, you know, in January, February. But COVID hit and it, I guess that was my sign that I have to write the book. And so that's when I wrote the book uh, during COVID in, in the winter. And like you said, you didn't want to do it. It's kind of scary. I didn't, I didn't want to do it. No, I, I didn't want to write mine either. <laughs> and that's why I said it can be the most scary thing you do and the one that brings you into who you're meant to be. And then I end up talking to nice people like you and all the other guests that I have on here, learning interesting stories and, and looking at death and grief and, and everything all around it, you know, aging and living well, looking at it at a different angle than I never would have thought of if I hadn't written the book, which is, you know, springboarded to me sitting down and having the conversation with you. And, that, and that's all what because you said yes. It's yeah. all because you said yes to your soul assignment. You said yes. That's all it takes. Yes. You don't have to know the plan and the strategy and all the things. You just literally internally to God, to the universe say, okay, I'll do it. That's what it takes. And then you start to get that push and the opportunities. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think it was that deep. I just thought it was like, oh, I, I knew that it was something in me, but now you've, you've, uh, no. No, it's never that it was. It's never that simple. The universe always has a plan for you. And when you have a book inside of you, or if you have a podcast, or you have a, a story or a movie, it's it's not there by accident. The universe doesn't make a mistake. Oops, my bad. I put this book in David's heart. I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't mean to do that. Yes, that is for you to publish, right? The universe does not make mistakes. So you know, when it comes to death and dying and even, even people thinking, oh, should I be an executor? Should I do a trust? Yes, you should. If you're listening to this, this is like the universe giving you that extra nudge. You didn't find this podcast by mistake. God didn't make a mistake. He wasn't like slipping away on break for a second, getting a latte and he forgot about you. And now you're listening to some random podcast or found a, found David's book, like hint, 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 go get this done. You're going to need it later. You know, when my parents passed away, thankfully, they had a very solid trust. And there's just my sister and I it was all planned out. There was nothing we had to, like, think about. Um, I mean, there was a lot to do. It's overwhelming in itself. Plus, you're grieving. So, you know, but it, it's there's there is no mistake. If you're listening to this, you need they need to get your book if they don't already have it. There's something in there for them. And, you know, if the only thing that's scaring them from reading it is that they're afraid of death, I mean, you can do it. Scary things are going to happen and none of us are getting out of this world alive. So, you know, make good use nope. of your time. Absolutely. And then when you do leave, you're not dying. So don't worry about that part. You're gonna have so much fun. You're gonna see your friends and family. It's gonna be like bliss, you, no pain, so much fun. Well, I, I think you've, you might've made it a lot easier. I, I don't think we've converted a lot of people, but we're getting people to at least think about it and be a lot more comfortable because you've made it seem that it's not it's not that bad. It's amazing. So, so what would you say the message or takeaway would be for the reader to remember after reading Soul Priority and going through their own personal exploration? You know, I think it's in the title, keep your soul the priority of your life. Live through your soul. There's nothing, when you leave this world, the universe, God, I, you know, everyone has different beliefs, but whatever it is you believe, we'll just call it God to make things simple. God's not asking for the details of your life. Really the big question, the big, it's not a question. It's just like an examination of, did you live in alignment with your soul? Were you living your truth? Where are you living from love? Make your soul the priority of your life. 
And that's why I added the four soul archetypes, or I think that's why I was given it is because we focus so much on work and surviving and money that we forget who we are and we forget our soul. So my goal is to merge the soul back into our daily work so that you can lead a life through your soul and making your soul the priority of your life and day every moment. How can people get in touch with you and find out a little bit more about your work? Uh, my website, soulpriority.com. It's S-O-U-L, soulpriority.com. And you can get the free quiz, the soul archetype, soul assignment quiz to see which archetype you're living in alignment with that's most activated. Um, and then on social media at Mariko Frederick, you can find me on Instagram, um, Facebook and Thread. Mariko Frederick, founder and CEO of Soul Priority. I want to thank you so much for being here, being on the Executive Help podcast. When part two of the book comes out, you definitely are going to be, we're going to be sitting down and having uh, more of a conversation. But I just want to thank you for, you know, starting the conversation, helping people get in touch with their souls and let them start their own, figure out their own soul, their own soul assignment. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.